0: We are, uh, again in the series, wrapping it up this last week of I'm okay in Jesus. And uh, again, we've looked at I'm, and I'm going to kind of recap everything and where we've been and just kind of emphasizing one word of this phrase. And and why are we doing that is because I think sometimes as, as believers, as Christians, we get so bogged down in, well, what do I say? What do I say I believe? And how do I say I believe it? This is just I'm OK in Jesus, right? Well, well, you just sinned, you're a hypocrite. Yeah, I know I am, but I'm OK in Jesus, right? Um, and and whatever, whatever it is in the scenario of I'm feeling depressed, I'm, I, I'm struggling with, with thoughts or whatever it may be, I'm OK in Jesus. And so tonight we get to finish that phrase of, "I'm not just OK in something. it has to be filled with Jesus. And I want to look at tonight of why it has to be Jesus and why it can't be something else. And and I want to look at maybe tonight I'm gonna to get a little bit again theological, like kind of what we have in the last this whole series that I feel like has been a little deeper, but in the sense of looking at Jesus. Does he need to be God in order to save us? Are there other ways to get to heaven? I mean, is how do we know this is the right one? Right? And maybe the Mormons are right, even though they're not Mormons anymore. They're the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So get your, get your uh, words correct. Um, not word, I'm looking for a different phrase there. I can't think, anyways. Um, okay, so here's where we were three weeks ago. The first one, I'm, i made in the image of God, right? That every human being reflects their creator. We, this, this came up for some reason in class this last week, um, I don't remember why, but just being made, oh yeah, we're talking about icons and is, is it okay to have a, a, an image of a cross or an image of Jesus, that kind of thing. And when we look at scripture of saying that, that, that human beings are the image bearers, that these idols and these things that ancient Israelite or Egypt or whatever other country worshipped these idols or even uh, modern, you know, Hinduism or whatever, that they worship an idol, the idol is not what they're worshipping, they're worshipping the deity that the idol represents. And what God is saying, that when you make these idols, you're saying that that thing in some way, shape, or form represents me. What I'm telling you is that you represent me as human beings, that you are made in my image. And so I want you to fill the earth and and represent who I am as your God in the earth. Um, And then uh, just reading Isaiah chapter 46 says this, I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who's called by my name, who I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made, that every single human has been created for the glory of God. That's who we are in the I'm, but we also have to look at our condition as fallen human beings, that we're not okay, right That I, I'm actually not okay left to my own device, that I'm a sinner, and every single fiber of my being is what we, the phrase that we call is totally depraved. Not utterly depraved, I can do good things, but my deep down innermost desire is somehow tainted by sin. Everything. And if I'm left by myself, I'm not okay. And so we looked at the Passover and the Passover meal with Jesus and how he crushes the head of that ancient serpent. And then two weeks ago, looking at, I'm okay. Okay. Because we're not just left in the darkness and after the fall and the sin. I'm okay. I've been, I've been justified that, that God has made it so as if I've never sinned that I can stand in his presence. And he adopts me as his own. That he doesn't just say, hey, listen, I will save you. I will forgive you of your sins, but I don't ever want to see you again. That would have been, that would have been gracious if he would have done that. But he doesn't. He says, come, sit at my table, be my children. And then ultimately glorified one day with him and made in the image and, and, and representing who, it, who Christ is and his glorified body that we get to uh, take place in that as well. Last week looked at union with Christ. What does it mean to be in union? How am I sustained in my walk, in my life with, with Christ? And that there's so many times, uh, hundreds of times in the New Testament, and the Apostle Paul loves using the phrase in Christ or with Christ or abide in Christ or remain in Christ. He uses it all the time. It's just a short little passage here, Ephesians 1. It uh, says this, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How are we blessed? How are we okay? In Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. And blameless in his sight. How am I holy and blameless and justified and sanctified and all these big words in Christ? And in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship. How? Through Jesus Christ. In accordance to the pleasures of his his will. To the praise of his glorious grace which was freely given to us in the one he loves. How do we receive grace and freedom in Christ? That's what we looked at last week. This week, though, we're going to be looking at how Jesus and how Jesus is the only way. And you might be coming in here just maybe kicking the tires of Christianity, checking it out. I don't really know what I believe right now. And I hope tonight, based on not my words, but Jesus' words, that you can reason, think with me tonight that if I believe in Jesus, I actually have to believe that. I have to, or else I'm not a Christian. Because Jesus Christ, the Christ, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So if I call myself a Christian, I have to believe in the one that said that. But how can we know that that's true and trustworthy? Is that real? That's what we to be looking at tonight. So we're going to answer this question, I'm okay in. What am I okay in? And I think this is something that we need to remind ourselves of, not just every day, but moment by moment by moment. Because there's a, there's a lot of us in this room that whether the moment is or the day or the thing is that we're grasping onto, I'm okay in my relationship. What if that relationship ends? I'm okay with my family. What if there's a death in the family? Right? I'm okay in my job I'm okay with my team, not today. Uh, I'm a Packer fan, yeah. Right? If my joy—I mean, this is maybe a silly illustration. If my joy—I mean, what I needed was for a team to win, right? Vikings fans, you know what it's like. Be crushed. But if I put my hat, like, yeah, okay, it makes me happy. I like sports. I like things. I love my wife. I love my kid. I've lived in this life long enough to know bad stuff happens. And when those things are ripped away, if my only thing that I'm okay in is that, what are we doing? And I've learned that the only thing that can satisfy the soul is Jesus. Jesus. I met with a young man this last week who, who asked me. He, he was just talking to me about his uh, devotional life and just said, "Man, I read this and I just feel so guilty." I was like, "Man, you get—I'm okay in Jesus, <laughs> right? Yes, I'm going to read stuff and I'm going to read some law or some verse. and I'm going to go, man. I don't—I do not do that well, right? I do not always love my wife the way that Christ loves the church and gave Himself for it. I don't do that, but I'm okay in Jesus." And he has set me free in order that I might live through him, in him. But the only way to get peace, the only way to be satisfied, what's the uh, Rolling Stones? I can't get no. <laughs> right? Listen, it's true. You can't get any satisfaction with anything without Jesus. There also is no peace. Uh, next week, we're going to be kicking off a new series called "The Waters in Which We Swim," just looking at cultural dogmas and gospel responses. And the first one next week is just going to be happiness, right? Is happiness our God, right? Just, just be happy. Doesn't matter who gets hurt. Doesn't matter what happens or the consequences. Just be happy. And what is the gospel response to just happiness? Because is it just about being happy? I don't think it is, but uh, to be continued next week. But all of that, all the next eight or nine weeks that that we're doing this, looking at different cultural catechisms that we're seeing and hearing these these images and these words over and over in our heads and our minds. What does the gospel actually say about these things, and how do they point us to Jesus to be able to matter what our heart says in a moment to be able to say, I'm okay in Jesus. It's not about happiness. So, that leads us to where we're going to be digging in a little bit uh, deeper tonight. Um, there is a, a, a pretty well-known quote. Um, at least I thought it was well-known, and as I was digging into it, I'm not, it's, so it's C.S. Lewis, uh, where he said, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Apparently, Thomas Aquinas Said Christ was either a liar, a lunatic, or lord. So I don't know if I don't know what happened, but uh, so I don't know if it was Thomas Aquinas, but I do know that C.S. Lewis spoke on this quite a bit, and he and he and he talked about this and expand on this. Okay, what he's talking about here is if Jesus is who he says he was. There are these are the three options. You you have a man who made some pretty bold statements and claims. And so either he is a chronic liar, right? Hey, I'm God, follow me. I'm gonna die and be resurrected, okay? Either he lied because that didn't happen. Either he's a lunatic because he, he thinks he's God and he's not, or he's Lord. Those are the options. So I wanna dig into what this means and what, what C.S. Lewis is getting at when he said this is the, the idea of people even within the church saying Jesus yeah i mean he was a good man he was a really good teacher i mean he said some things man that that yeah if people just lived like that boy how different would this world be well, can i say that if he didn't say that okay so that's what that's what we're going to be looking at today all right so the first question did Jesus claim to be god did Jesus actually even make that statement? Did he actually just outright fully say, hey, everybody listening to me, I am God in the flesh? Did he say that, right? Because wouldn't that have just been easier? I feel like, man, I read my New Testament, and it's just like, ah, man, it kind of seems like he dances around the issue a little bit. Okay, well, let's think about this, All right, Go rewinding the clock a little bit. Jesus is in his 30s. Um, you know, he, he, he started his ministry when he was 30 years old, and he died when he was 33. I turned 33 in a couple days. It's kind of freaky. Like, eh, I want to be like Jesus, but not like that. You know. Um, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> okay, here's, here's what it was. Okay, he was young. That's what I was trying to say. It's still young. Okay, Jesus was young, and in his ministry, he's, he's, he doesn't. He can't just outright, flat out say, "Hey, I, I, I'm the Son of God." He tried that once. He tried that a few times. It didn't go well. Okay, and I want to read what, what would have happened. Why not just say it outright? This is from Matthew chapter 13. It says, When Jesus had finished these parables, he's, he's early on in his ministry, he's teaching. He moved, from, he moved on from there, and coming to his hometown, Nazareth, he began teaching to the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom? And these miraculous powers, they asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense to him. Just from him teaching and performing. He hadn't even said who he was yet. And they're offended by it. And did he not do many miracles, sorry, and he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. He shows up, he's performed miracles in his own hometown. They know him. And they take offense to it. Later on, though, he talks a little bit more. He says the Jews answered him. Uh, context-wise here, Jesus is speaking to a lot of uh, Jewish leaders, um, and he just healed a demon-possessed man. Okay, he just cast out a demon from a man. And the Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and a demon possess- and, and demon-possessed? Okay, Samaritan would just have been a, a racial slur. Okay, they're calling him a racial slur, and they're saying, and demon-possessed. Jesus says, I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Okay, he's, he's setting this up as best as you can in that culture. I honor my father. He, Jews don't call Yahweh father. Jesus is. I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you that whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did all the prophets, and yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did all the prophets. Who do you think you are? All right, Jesus said, if you believe, you'll never, you're never going to die. I'm going to live forever. And he said, no, no, that's not possible because the Abraham died. All of the prophets died. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim is your God. My father, who is your God, Yahweh, is the one who glorifies me. Okay? You don't glorify me. My father, Yahweh, glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know him and obey, uh, but I do know him and I obey his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Okay? Okay? Abraham, the father of your faith, rejoiced, glorified God at seeing me, Jesus. But then he says this, he saw it and was glad. He's not even 50 years old yet, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. We looked at this in the passage in Exodus, right? And it happens in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 6, where Moses is in front of the burning bush and he says, God, who do I tell them sent me? What's going to happen? And he says, Tell them, I am, has sent you. I am that I am. I am the continually self existing one. We read a quote, right? I am the ising one is the most literal translation that we could make from that. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is now using the same name that Yahweh uses to explain it to Moses. And before Abraham was, before Moses was, I am. And when you claim to be God in most societies... At this, they picked up stones to stone him. They wanted to kill him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. When you go to stone somebody, it's not, oh, I just want to bruise his arm. <laughs> they wanted to kill him. Why would they want to kill him? Because he was claiming to be equal with God. He was claiming to be God. So do we ask, can we ask ourselves, did Jesus claim to be God? Yes, he did. And a matter of fact, later on in the end of the story, at least that this book, they kill him for. It. All right, let's look at this. Was he a liar? Either, right? So he claims to be God, but maybe it's possible that he was just lying. Are there, is there any text? And, and, and there, are, there are a lot of things that extra biblical, right? And I think that's a, there's a there's a place and a really good thing for that. And what I mean extra biblical, I mean, if I just go to the Bible to prove that Jesus isn't a liar. Isn't that circular reasoning? Right? I'm using the text to prove the text. That doesn't even make any sense. Right? But we're looking at multiple eyewitness accounts. Why not go to the prime source, the primary source? One of you did that in school, right? It's like instead of quoting uh, you know Paul Stiver on something that his wife said, why not just immediately go to Allison and say, what, What'd you say? Right? That, that's not a negative. Like, hey, what'd you say about this? That's a better, that's a better thing. Go to the primary source, and there are other texts or other extra biblical things that we can look at. Uh, I I didn't take the time to do that, but they're out there, and we can talk about that later if you'd like. But here's the question: You can't be a good man. Again, they answer the kind of that question that C.S. Lewis was looking at. Can I be a good man? Be a good teacher? Can people follow me and be a chronic liar? He claimed that he was the Son of Man, a title used for the Messiah over 60 times. To about himself, 60 times, he said, I am the Son of Man. The Son of Man must rise. Son of Man must do this and that. He says it over 60 times, right? He's a chronic liar if he's not. So does he claim to be God, but then isn't? So let's look at what some other passages say. In John chapter 5, and there are, there were so many prophecies and things I wanted to try to get into from what the Old Testament says to what was fulfilled in the New, and this is just kind of a little bit of, of both. And so John chapter 5 says this, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. Okay, so, so Jesus is saying, right, same thing, this is circular reasoning. If I just keep claiming to be God, and the only proof is I'm claiming to be God, then, then my testimony is not going to be true. There is another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. Okay, hey, setting him up here. You have, sent, uh, uh, you have sent to John. This is John the Baptist. And he has testified to the truth. John the Baptist. He was prophesied at the end of Malachi. One is going to come. And he's going to prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for the Messiah. John has come. He has said, there's one greater than me that's coming. Right? It's f- fulfilling the prophecy here. You go to John and he testifies the truth. And not that I accept human testimony, right, so he's mentioning John, but I mention it uh, that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light, right? They would go out to the wilderness and listen to his teaching and were baptized by him out in the river. I I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the words of that of the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I am doing testify the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one that he sent. He's talking about himself. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. If you you study these and you work and you work and you just know the law, you'll have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. And I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. He's talking about spiritual things. The word of God has been written and the word of God testifies to me. He's saying, you're not listening. You're not hearing the spiritual side. You're not letting the Holy Spirit open your heart and your mind because you're so worried about your religion and what you've done to get here. But I know you. And I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. right? He's saying, if someone else were to come and claim to be the Messiah that wasn't also claiming to be God, you would accept them. It happened all the time in Israel's history. Warriors and people who would stand up and try to set the Israelites free from slavery or from the the Roman oppression or whoever it was at the time, these guys have come, they've never said they were God, and you follow them, and here I am saying, I'm here, I'm God. You reject me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. But I do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. All right, here's the zinger. Your accuser is Moses, right? The scriptures that you study so well and by Moses here, he means the whole Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament it says, "Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set." If you believed Moses you would have belie- you would believe me. And we just spent just going through one book, right? 33 weeks of the book of Exodus and every single week how it points to Jesus. Guys, look at the Passover meal and what that meant that blood had to be shed for the for the sins to be looked over and for the firstborn to be spared and be saved, and how that looks at Jesus Christ, who sheds his blood for all who would believe in him. And as he says, in the serpent, right? Everyone who was bit by this serpent, they had to go outside of their tent and, and look at this bronze serpent that was hung up on a stick. And Jesus said, just as the serpent was hung up a high, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that all who look on me and believe in me will not perish. Every single thing that Moses says points to Jesus your hopes are set in that but if you believed Moses you would have believed me for he wrote about me but since you do not believe what he wrote how are you going to believe what I say that's who Jesus was and if he's a liar then what his argument is here then we have to throw the entire book out old and the new Everything's garbage. It's all just a farce if Jesus isn't God. So he can't be a liar. Is he a lunatic? Was he crazy? Did he claim to be God but then actually wasn't? Look at Matthew chapter 26 says this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, this was the Passover meal with his disciples, and he's about to make a prophecy about himself. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away. And the Son of Man, that's himself, he's speaking to him, it's about himself, the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. If you're not God, if you're not a prophet gifted by God, how do you make a claim that you're going to be crucified on a cross under the hands of the Romans in two days? You, You can't. You can't make a claim like that. He was a Jew. He was under Jewish rule. Yes, the Romans were occupying it, but he knew the religious leaders and the priests, the Jewish people, could not condemn somebody to death. Only the Romans could do that. But he wasn't breaking any Roman rules. And yet he still says, I'm going to be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace, the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly, And kill him. Fast forward to the end of that chapter 26. He's out in the garden of Gethsemane now, where he's praying, sweating drops of blood in agony, knowing what's about to happen to him. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. Our lunatics at this point just say, Yeah, okay, it was just a joke. I don't want to do this. I'm not actually God. When he came back to his disciples and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, so he left them and went away and once more prayed for the third time saying the same thing. And then he turned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. In the next moment, Judas Betrays him, and they arrest him, and he's crucified. So is he Lord? That's what we're left with: is Jesus Lord? Jesus again talking to the disciples, uh, not his disciples. These were just disciples of Jesus, not like the like the twelve of disciples. And they're leaving. Everything just happened. Jesus was just crucified, and all these disciples know is that his body's missing. And they're walking back to Emmaus. Okay, So on that that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. I don't know what that means. I don't know if they just didn't look at him. Or if he was already somehow transfigured and got his new body. Or I don't know. They didn't recognize who he was. And he asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still with their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? (laughs) Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That right there, that narrative is what every single Jew and Israelite thought Jesus was gonna be. Jesus, when are you gonna kick the Romans out? Jesus, when are you gonna restore Israel to power? And his response was always, oh, I'm not going to, but, but, but you will. But it's not just Israel; it's going to be all people. And what is more, is the third day since all this took place. Okay, so three days now have gone by. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that that uh, sorry, uh, they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. (laughs) Jesus says to them, how foolish are you? How slow to believe all, again, that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He is Lord. That he came to this world, he put on flesh as a second member of the Trinity, lived a perfect sinless life, the life that we couldn't live, and had this ministry proclaiming the true gospel proclaiming what the kingdom of God actually was, that it's not just restoring Israel to power, that it's here, it's individually, it's a person to person. And then he died. But then he was raised from the dead and was seen by his disciples and others and 500 other people, and then he ascended into heaven and now sits in a power, in the throne of power. He's Lord. Lastly, though, but does he have to be God? Okay, I, I know it's like, well, didn't you already kind of prove that? Okay, here's, here's my point. Okay, If, I, if I'm going to put my faith in Jesus, does he actually have to be God? Can't we just say, kind of like that first question, couldn't Jesus just be a good man? Couldn't he just be a good teacher? I mean, think about it, right? We, we revere people in history, I said, It was a good man, right? I think of maybe like George Washington, right? I mean, like he was founded this country, like all of the people, all the people were like, yeah, he's a, he's a good man. Oh, yeah, but he also owns slaves, right? So we, we, we ignore that part, but we're like, yeah, but man, he was, yeah, but I mean, we can look past that, but we can't, right? So does he need to be got? Does he actually have to be got, you know what I'm saying? Robert Downey Jr. Everyone loves Robert Downey Jr., the Iron Man, right? Nope. Addicted to cocaine. Was. He might still be. I, I don't know. I'm not friends with him. And it's okay if he was in Jesus. I mean, don't be addicted to cocaine. That came out wrong. Don't do that. I'm just going to keep moving on. Moving on. Does he really need to be God, though? Could he just be a good man? Could we just listen to his teachings and say, man, that's, that's still good. Like, yeah, I know he chronically claimed to be God, but he doesn't need to be. Well, the New Testament authors sure thought he did. The word theos in the Greek is used of Christ, that Christ is God. In John 1.1, 1, 1, 18; John 20.28, 20, Romans 9.5, Titus 2.13, Hebrews 1.8, quoting Psalm 45. So it takes an Old Testament word for God the Father and applies it to Jesus in 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. Does he really need to be God? Well, if I believe that in the fall and total depravity and that every human being is a sinner, that we've all committed high treason against God the Father, that I've committed an infinite crime. And an infinite crime demands an infinite penalty. It has to. And therefore, if it's an infinite crime that demands an infinite penalty, then the payment needs to be an infinite sacrifice. The sacrifice can't just start and stop and start and stop. It's got to be infinite or I'm doomed. And we read this in Hebrews chapter 9. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, once for all by his own blood. Because animals didn't cut it. And human beings, even really good human beings, didn't cut it. It had to be God himself. Once for all, by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Right, this is not law here. This is as freeing as a verse can be. It cleanses our consciousness. Why? So that we may serve the living God. I don't get to serve this God because he saved me eternally. Salvation is from God. And so no one else gets the glory. If if you could figure out another way to save yourself, then God doesn't get the glory. You do. And scripture makes it explicitly clear. You've been saved by grace so that you cannot boast. You cannot boast in anything that you've done because it's from God. I was reminded of of a story. Some people might call it an apologetic and a defense of the faith. Uh, I was at Choo Choo Bob's on Friday. You know, Choo Choo Bob's. If you're a parent, you know Choo Choo Bob's. Um, It's just this little... Uh, train station in St. Paul, train, it's not a train station, that, it's not a train station at all. They, they make uh, children's uh, TV show things. Does that make sense? Little, little kids shows. And it's a guy named Choo Choo Bob. Not very popular, okay, I don't think he's like, you know, big time uh, anything. But in this little store, there's a couple model trains going around and there's these, uh, then they've got just, I don't know, a dozen or so of these little wooden box things with little tracks and kids can just play. And it's just, it's just a way to get out of the house and drive something new and and so we, we had a lot of fun, but I was reminded of this, this story while I was in there that, that deals with railroad tracks, okay? And specifically, it deals with uh, a railroad track drawbridge, okay, um, where the train's going across, but they can lift it up so that uh, people can, uh, you know, boats can go through, okay? So here's the story. This is hypothetical. This is not real, okay? So don't, don't cry. Hypothetical situation, situation uh, story here, okay? Train's going down the track, and the train, the train is full of people, thousands of people on this train. And, the, and it was it happened also be, a, you know, bring your kid to work day. Um, and so, so the dad, the operator, is, you know, operating it, and, he's, and his kid's playing, and he sees this train coming, and he needs to lower the bridge, or else all these people are going to die. But he looks down, and he sees his kid playing in the gears. He's got two options. I just held up four fingers. He's got two options. <laughs> I can either hit the button... And crush my son and save thousands of people. Or I can let my son live and let thousands of people die. And once he do, he hits the button, right? So thousands of people can survive. And the story, right? And, maybe you've, and every, every analogy breaks down. So don't, don't, don't dwell on this too much. The idea is that God the Father said the only, the only way to redeem anybody is for me to send my only son whom I love, but I also love the world. And I'm gonna send him so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. But he must suffer and die a horrible death first. And he must shed his blood for all of mankind. But does he have to be the way? Did Jesus have to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me? Was that necessary? Well, think of it this way. What if, in the same story, there was a second button. Instead of lowering the bridge and crushing your son, couldn't you just hit another button that diverted the train down a different track? Right? All roads lead to heaven. If that's true, Jesus isn't God. God's not God. Because what happens in the story that God tells us is that he hits the button to crush his son, while he could have maybe just hit other buttons and let anyone go to heaven. Are you following me? Tr- tracking with me? If there were other ways and he didn't do that, then it's divine child abuse. But if he is the only way, then he either has to be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And so therefore we get to say, I'm okay in Jesus. Not because he was a good man. Not because he taught some really cool things. But because he's God. And he's the only one that can forgive me of my sins. And he graciously and wants to lavishly show you his mercy and love and forgive you of all of your sins so that you can, in any situation, say, I'm okay. But I'm okay in Jesus. That's what he does. He's also the only mediator between God and God's people. In First Timothy chapter 2, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, Man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed at the proper time. He's the only one. I can't mediate on myself. I can't work it. I can't do it on my own. And I can't just ignore it. I can't just say, yeah, it sounds good, but no thanks, I'm out. That's rejecting the creator too. Accept, believe. Believe. Um, Pastor Cora did this downtown this morning, and I would like to do it here. It's a call and response. I just want to read some verses, and I want you to just reply. If, if in your conscience you can say, I'm okay in Jesus, I would love for you to do that. If not, it's okay. I don't want to make you just say something because you're supposed to say it. I want you to believe this. And so all I'm going to do is I'm going to read a passage from Isaiah 52, a prophecy about who the Messiah was and who he was going to be. And then just respond, "I'm okay in Jesus." So, if you will, just please stand with me as we read this out. We're going to close in communion. I want to read this whole passage. It says this. I'll read the verse in congregation. If conscience, if you believe this, just "I'm okay in Jesus." It says this. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up, and highly exalted. I'm okay in Jesus. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. I'm okay in Jesus. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. I'm okay in Jesus. Who has believed our message and whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. I'm okay in Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. I'm okay in Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. I'm okay in Jesus. Like one from whom his people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. I'm okay in Jesus. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God Stricken by him and afflicted. I'm okay in Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. I'm okay in Jesus. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way. And Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're okay in Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and his sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. We're okay in Jesus. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. We're okay in Jesus. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. We are okay in Jesus. Yet it was Yahweh's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though Yahweh makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of Yahweh will prosper in his hand. We're okay in Jesus. After he suffered He will see the light of life and be satisfied, and by knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. We are okay in Jesus. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We are okay in Jesus. Are you okay? Can you claim that? Can you claim I'm okay in the times where I'm I'm beaten, I'm destroyed, I'm sinning, I don't know what to do with my life, can you say I'm okay in Jesus? I don't feel like it right now, but can you say it? Do you believe Jesus is who said he was, that he is God, the forgiver of your sins? We're going to sing a few more songs tonight than we normally do we have communion again just reading about this blood that was shed for us that he was crushed for our iniquities that this juice that represents his blood that was shed for us and the bread that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us that we now get to remember and taste and see that God is good and that you are okay in Jesus will you bow your head with me heavenly father Thank you for Jesus. I, I thank you that, that I can't do it on my own. Because if I could, I would just become so arrogant. I would look down on other people, not doing a good enough job. Oh, you just missed it. Try again. But instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have just being able to say, I can't. But you did. And I can now put my faith in Jesus, and so therefore that makes me okay. So God, hear our prayers, hear our worships, hear our songs, receive this offering as we taste and remember what Jesus Christ did for us thousands of years ago, the God-man who shed his blood and broke his body for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.